there used to be in a way a formula to save up for a down payment. You knew that if you were able to put away X amount of dollars every month, you could figure out how many months it would take to save up for $5,000, cuz that could be a down payment. $10,000. At one point if you could find 25% of whatever the cost was of the house and sometimes that house was under $100,000, you'd save on CMH C fees. There were all kinds of little incentive and ideas. Now that formula is a little bit tougher because it's not like you can say, I'm going to put away a couple hundred bucks a month, and when I get to a down payment of $125,000, i will stop and buy a house. So how should we be looking at saving up for a house? Dr. Paul Kershaw is an associate professor in the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia, and we're lucky enough to have him with us right now. Dr. Kershaw, thanks for taking some time for us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Kershaw, where do you begin to look as as we see housing prices that maybe don't even match what you might see in Vancouver, but certainly are a whole lot higher than what they used to be here? It wasn't too long ago that if you were spending 250000 on a house, you were getting three bedrooms and two and a half baths. Now, not so much. Now we're looking at average prices that are bordering on 800000 and it's shot up here. What do you tell oh. people who are looking to get in? Well, I'm looking to tell them that they're that our economy has evolved in your community such that their hard work doesn't pay off like it used to because they have to work so much more to try to cobble together the down payment for uh, a home. And the home that they're likely to be purchasing now is getting actually smaller and smaller with less access to the ground than it did before. And you're right. I'm looking at London data right now. Five years ago, the average cost of a home in your community was less than $300,000. The average price in 2021 was more than double that. It was 640000 So that's eroding hard work for people trying to get into the housing system. Their consolation prize is they have to compete more and more for whatever rental you have available, and that extra competition drives rents up. And while their standard of living and their hard work is not paying off nearly as well, existing homeowners, and I'm one of those, uh, we get more wealthy. And that's the fundamental tension that housing prices are causing in our communities right now. This massive tension causing hard work not to pay off while making others more wealthy while we sleep. Dr. Paul Kershaw joining us from the University of British Columbia. So it used to be you could say, all right, cobble together 5% and that's a good down payment. Is there a way to even classify a down payment anymore? getting harder and harder. I mean, we used to calculate, or we calculate, how many years of work do you need to to do to, like, save a 20% down payment on an average-priced home? And it used to be five years from coast to coast, including in our big cities like the GTA and Metro Van. Um, And it would have been the norm, you know, back in the day in London. But even as recently as 2016, you would have had to work eight years in London to save that 20% down payment. As of the end of 2021, you had to work 19 years. Just think about how much work is being lost by the typical young person. That has to be something we driving us to say going forward, what do we want from home prices? And I think it needs to be something like to restore affordability for all, we minimally need home prices to stall so that earnings have a chance to catch up. There you go. But how do you do it? Because we look at this market and – you see the data. We've got very, you know, small supply. We've still got a whole lot of demand. We have 
talked about vacancy taxes. I, I'm not convinced that that's going to stall prices all that much. Is there anything that you can look at as a tool that could be used to slow things down? Well, I hate to be the harbinger of bad news, but there's no single tool. There's no silver bullet here. There's silver buckshot. We have to think about using every possible tool because the problem has grown so grave. And I literally am just getting out of a meeting with Statistics Canada. You're like, wow, who cares about that, Paul? But I was talking with the people who measure inflation. And we were having a range of experts point out that the way we measure inflation in housing right now is completely underestimating how much home prices are rising. And someone listening to your show is like, who cares, Paul? But, But it really matters because when we underestimate how much home prices are rising in our measure of inflation, then the Bank of Canada says, oh, inflation's okay. Only recently we're starting to worry that it's rising too much. But if we had recognized years earlier that housing was driving inflation higher and higher, we would have changed our monetary policy, changed our interest rates, which would have stopped people from being able to keep borrowing more and more, which then allows them to bid up prices more and more, which drives up home prices and makes it more expensive for those who follow. That's one factor. But we also need to think about how do we add more supply in your communities. For instance, we're working right now to try and convince the Canada Infrastructure Bank to partner more and more with the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. And why? Well, the Infrastructure Bank is being critiqued for not investing enough right now to green our economies. Building new green affordable housing would be a great way to do that. And so we could find some win-wins getting more money to build affordable co-ops and affordable rental that are really energy efficient. And also, I'm bold enough to try and say, we have a home ownership tax shelter which incentivizes people in London and everywhere across the country, including where I am in Metro Van, to sometimes want home prices to rise because as our home values go up, we gain equity and all of that is tax sheltered. And the moment we have tax shelters encouraging us to want home prices to rise, we give rise to feedback loops that result in that very phenomenon. And so there's, uh, I'm out on the record and many people don't like it, but for homes over a million dollars, that's mine because I live in Metro Van, to be ask people like me to contribute slightly more so that we erode that tax shelter for home ownership and try and change the incentives in our housing system. And while we do that, raise some money to invest in affordable rental and affordable co-ops. Dr. Paul Kershaw with us, associate professor in the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia. You've put the idea out there. What's the reception been like? Well, I think uh, a range of the media kind of looking at the policy problem from a kind of wonkish standpoint know that when we have the following dynamic, it's a problem. So when you go to work today, you'll pay 100% of what you earn will be subject to tax. If you take some of those earnings and you invest in the stock market, 50% of your return on the investment would be subject to tax. But anything you make as a homeowner will largely be sheltered from tax. And so people who look at the policy incentives recognize, hmm, that's not so clever if we want to try and have people not treat housing more than a place to call home, but also a way to get rich, commodify it, turn it into a big investment prospect. But there are some people, when you talk about any kind of taxation or new taxation, they don't like it. I understand that. But the most interesting conversations I think I've been having is with people in regions where it's not the norm for people to be living in million-dollar homes. And so I was having this conversation with a guy in Saskatchewan who was raising concerns, and I asked, do you live in a million-dollar home? He said, no. Does anyone in your neighborhood? He said, no. Then like, I said, well, then what I'm proposing won't impact you. It'll ask somebody like me, whose home went up half a million bucks last year, to contribute slightly more so we don't have to ask you to pay more in income taxes. And that message, I think, can work. 
We just need to get it out more. And so I'd love to hear more and more from your listeners in London. The idea is like, I don't live in a million dollar home. You could take pressure off my income taxes by asking someone who is living in a million dollar plus home to contribute slightly more. That's a neat conversation to have. Is it ever? Well, thank you for bringing up the idea because it at least gives maybe not that silver lining like you're talking about, but at least at least a glimmer, at least a light at the end of a tunnel or a potential light at the end of the tunnel because right now you have some people who are saying, I'm either never going to own a home, and that's a lot of people who are in their early 20s, or I rely on my parents to either bequeath me the money it will take or I take over their home or you know it, it gets to be avenues like that or they decide to give their inheritance while they're still alive. Those sorts of things, which we do see happening, don't we? We do. I'm not the biggest fan of the phrase, the bank of mom and dad. I think that often infantilizes younger adults saying, oh, you can't get by as an adult without relying on your parents. When in fact, what's happening is many of those parents, if they're homeowners, are getting more wealthy because of the very dynamics that are harming their kids. And so I like to, you know, it's like the bank of mom and dad is actually being fueled in terms of wealth accumulation by the hard work of their kids not paying off. So having that hard intergenerational conversation is key. And I think at this moment, we we just truly need to ask ourselves, what do we want from our housing system going forward? And I, I hope that more and more people can get their heads and hearts around the idea that minimally we need these home prices to stall so we can restore affordability for all by giving those earnings a chance to catch up. And that that will require people shifting our attitudes and, and leaning into, like, what are the needs for our kids and grandchildren? Because we are in a country right now where the standard of living is bifurcating. Those who are homeowners who tend to be owner, having more and more ability to, like, borrow from their home, do a whole bunch of home improvements, invest in the stock market, go on holidays. And their kids and grandchildren thinking about how they'll raise their kids in a closet because they can't afford any more space. That's a wonky standard of living in our country that we've never really witnessed before, this bifurcation along age range. And, and I hope there's some older Canadians living in your community right now who are like, ah, I get that. I get why that's a problem. And I want to be part of the solution. Dr. Kershaw, thank you again for laying this out. It's a fascinating conversation. I hope we can have it again and see where it's gone in six months or so. I'm happy to come back anytime you'll have me. Dr. Kershaw, we definitely will do that. Have a great weekend. You as well. Cheers.